You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via those good people at the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is coming to you from the studios of uh, 3CR in Melbourne, Radical Radio, 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano and I'm the host of the Anarchist World this week. And if you wonder what anarchy is all about, look, it's so simple. Even I know the definition. Anarchos without rulers. So, you want to create a society without rulers? Yes. Won't we have mayhem, rape, murder, pillaging? No. What is it? What does it mean? It means without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. So what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to break down hierarchy. It's very simple. The struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common. So if you're involved in these struggles in your various ways, well, I've got a bad news for you. You're an anarchist, but the good news is you don't grow a tail or horns. We'll leave that to the capitalist class. All right, today we're going to talk about lots of things. Most likely we won't get through all the things that I'm interested in talking about, but uh, the first thing I'm interested in is educational apartheid. Now, we live in a particularly interesting society. We're resource-rich, but human as far as our humanity is concerned. Why? It's something that I've been struggling with for many, many years. And I had a light bulb moment yesterday, and I'm sure you've had this light bulb moment before. But we live in a society where we have an educational apartheid. About two-thirds of children in this uh, country of ours go to public schools and about a third go to private schools. Private schools basically means private investment for private profit. And the thing that's brought this home to me is the continuous advertising on various platforms, both legacy media and virtual media by the Smith family, which continues to tell us that one in six children live in poverty in this country and that somehow we need, as individuals, to donate money to the Smith family to give these kids the head start they require in the education system. And I'm thinking to myself, look, I live in one of the richest countries in the world. 
This country is awash with resources, human resources, natural resources. It's just an extraordinarily, and we've got an extraordinarily limited, small, insignificant population in comparison to the rest of the world, about 25 million people. And one in six children live in poverty. And we've got to get a private organisation, a private charity, to raise money in order to assist children to access what should be their basic right, education. Now, when you think about it, educational apartheid is fundamental to the type of society we have become and the type of society we are. Apartheid means, basically, separate development. And we have a separate development as far as the education system is concerned in this country. And that separate development is by is about children being educated in a public system, which is a state-funded system, and private schooling, which is actually, again, is a state-funded system. And that's the, that's the, that's the tragedy. We have billions of dollars of taxpayers' money funnelled into private education to create children and adults who will have attitudes which reflect the type of education they are exposed to. No wonder there are so many negative connotations about concepts regarding public good, things like public health, public education, public housing, public infrastructure, public services. It's as if anything which is state-funded is second-rate and anything that is privately owned is top-rate and we should all aspire to send our kiddies to private schools. And just before you ask me, no, I never sent my kiddies to private schools, okay? And I never went to a private school. But unfortunately, I know many people who through the private education system have developed attitudes and opinions which highlight the worst excesses of a capitalist society, a society based on private investment for private profit. And this educational apartheid is the very system which creates those attitudes in society which we see on a regular basis which divide this nation, the population in this nation, into particular groups. Some have silver spoons shoved in their mouths. Others uh, have to start 100 metres behind the handicap race of life. Now, I've got nothing against private education, but what I find offensive is the fact that most private education is supported and paid for through public taxpayers' funds. I find it offensive that religious-based organisations can push their viewpoint ad nauseum courtesy of the Australian taxpayer and they can build empires based on that taxpayer subsidy. But it goes much, much, much further than this. It's about inculcating attitudes, creating opinions and attitudes which continue to ensure that one in six children 
live in poverty in this country and will not actually be able to access any education. It creates the attitudes which sees us continually supporting policies, government policies and initiatives which marginalise people who don't have disposable income. It's about creating a two-tier system, not just in education, but during the whole of a person's life. Many people send their children to private, for a private education, not because it's a better education, because of the contacts they make. So, see, apartheid is about separate development. So we have minimal interaction in this society between various groups and that minimal interaction begins courtesy of a private education sector which not only inculcates the people they educate, the children they educate with their corporate capitalist philosophy, but it also ensures that the networks which are created, which provide jobs and advancement and lifestyle, exclude large sections of Australian society. And that's why there is very little mixing, not just during the education phase, except possibly on the sporting field occasionally, but during the whole of life. And it's this educational apartheid, which in my opinion creates many of the problems we see in Australian society today, where we cannot seem to tackle issues that should have been resolved decades ago in this society. I mean, if I was living in Bangladesh, maybe I'd have a different opinion, but I'm living in Australia, and I find it inconceivable that we have an apartheid system as far as education is concerned, which ensures there is minimal mixing of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds in our society. And the problem is highlighted or magnified when we see religious-based organisations providing private education which inculcate their little darlings with their own religious dogma. And the problem is even worse because not only do we have taxpayers' money being used to finance this system which divides us as a community and which causes many of the problems which we find in Australian society today, but we also have the situation of the brighter kids in the public education sector being offered scholarships to go into the private system. And this is designed to inculcate those children with the viewpoints, the opinions, the philosophy, the philosophical backgrounds of those that continue to make decisions on behalf of the rest of us. So educational apartheid, in my opinion, is one of the biggest problems that we face in this society. And the best way to tackle it initially is to remove government support for private educational institutions. This will mean that more children flow through the public sector, there's more interaction, more mixing, more understanding of the problems faced by 
certain sections of Australian society and the decreased formations of ghettos, and I'm talking about not just physical ghettos, but I'm talking about intellectual ghettos, philosophical ghettos. So educational apartheid, nasty business. It's there. Nobody talks about it. Nobody highlights it. It's part of the fabric of this society, part of the fabric of Australian society. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, when you broadcast and you do other things and you're involved in the struggle to create an egalitarian community, what you find is that uh, a lot of uh, people, you know, contact you in various ways. Now, there's a lot of people who have been contacting me lately and I find it inconceivable that we still haven't got the 550 members to attempt to register public public interest before corporate interest as a federal political party. I mean, the federal election has to be held before March next year. Time is running out. And, uh, look, if you like what you hear on the Anarchist World this week... I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests because the sooner we get this political party off the ground, the sooner we'll be able to have the luxury of throwing rocks. That's right, the luxury of throwing rocks during parliamentary campaigns. Now, people say, you're not going to be elected. Well, I agree. We're not going to be elected. I'm not that stupid to think we're going to be elected, but we can change the course, the political discourse, and more importantly... Because we have a preference system, not a first-past-the-post system, even a 1% to 2% vote, catching 1% to 2% of the votes, can have a significant impact on the type of parliament which is elected and the type of policies which are raised and discussed and made into law in this country. So it's not a matter of thinking that things are going to change overnight. It's a matter of thinking that without the ability to be involved in that process, our ability to push for transformation based on egalitarian values is much more difficult than it should be. So if you haven't joined and you're one of those people that uh, sends us uh, brickbacks or bouquets, now's the time to consider joining. We need 100 members within the next few weeks. Now you can join by downloading the application form from pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. If you haven't got a printer or you are not internet savvy, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. And I'll send you out some application forms. As I said before, we need at least, well, we need 100 new members within the next three months. So if you're a regular listener to the Anarchist World this week, you haven't joined public interest before corporate interest, now's the time to consider it. We're not a perfect organisation. We'll never be a perfect organisation. We're made up of flawed human beings, but at least these flawed human beings are coming together in an attempt to change the type of society we're involved in change things like the educational apartheid which is part of the bricks and mortars of Australian society in 2021 parliamentary puppets dance for the parliamentary puppet masters now 
Poor old Malcolm. Look, you can take Malcolm Turnbull how you like, okay? But it's fascinating, isn't it, when Malcolm Turnbull, former Prime Minister, investment banker extraordinaire, one of the richest men in this society, last week was appointed to a New South Wales authority that looked at the question of, to chair a New South Wales authority, to look at the question of creating a zero emissions society. One week later, that's right, one week later, the invitation is rescinded. Poor old Malcolm is told by the New South Wales government he's no longer loved or wanted. Now, Malcolm is an extraordinarily conservative human being. He was the Liberal Party's Prime Minister. Well, part of the Liberal Party's Prime Minister. He's an extraordinarily conservative human being who believes in private investment for private profit, but does understand that there is a climate emergency, and that's why he was appointed. But a week later, the invitation was ripped out of his hands, shredded, burnt, and then the ashes scattered to all four corners of New South Wales. And why was that? Because the Murdoch media, which is hostage to the coal industry, did a little campaign in New South Wales. Now, if you don't live in New South Wales, unfortunately, I don't live in New South Wales, but unfortunately... Many of the listeners to the Anarchist World this week, there's over, I think it's about seven or eight uh, community radio stations which broadcast the Anarchist World this week. They know how difficult it is to live in New South Wales, which is basically a one-party state. And I'm not talking about Liberal or Labor or or National or Greens. I'm talking about Murdoch. It's a one-party state. And if anybody really wants to understand why we can never seem at a state or federal level to address the issues that are so fundamental to the type of society we are, like the way we treat refugees and asylum seekers, the way we've been treating this country's First Nations people for hundreds of years, the way we have educational apartheid, and the list goes on and on. You need to understand who the parliamentary puppet masters are, and that's why it's fundamental that groups like public interest before corporate interests become a registered federal political party because we don't have any strings attached to us. And we find it as a badge of honour to be criticised by the Murdoch media, whether it's the virtual media, the legacy media, because what we saw in New South Wales was a typical Murdoch attack on the government of the day through its newspapers and through Channel 9, that's right, which now owns 2GP, which is, you know, the shock jock heaven of the universe, 2GB, and they ranted and raved and ranted and raved about poor old Malcolm being on the zero emissions board because he didn't want to see any more new coal mines being opened up. He didn't want to see coal mole, coal-driven, you know, power stations being built. And for that heinous crime... He needed to be removed. This is one of the most powerful men in this country. Needed to be removed from the zero, net zero emissions advisory committee. That's an advisory committee, believe it or not. So the coal industry, through their mates, the climate deniers in 2GB, the Daily Telegraph, 
in New South Wales, the parliamentary puppets in the New South Wales Parliament succumb to the pressure and remove the invitation. So if you want to understand how life works in this country, and people have been trying to tell everybody in this country for a long time, it's very simple. We theoretically have a parliamentary system where you vote and your people get in, but the dilemma is the major political parties are hostages. They are hostages to media barons. And the biggest media baron in this country who owns 75% of newspapers, continues to own 75% of newspapers and has a huge virtual uh, footprint, is Murdoch and his cronies. Now, for generations, this particular news, this particular news group has determined legislation, not just parliamentary policies, party policies, but legislation. Because without their assistance, political parties know that their chances of forming government are minimal because of the extensive influence these institutions have on Parliament. And we saw this once again this week. It couldn't have been more blatant than when we saw this country's reactionary forces, I don't call them conservative, reactionary forces, people clinging, clinging to the idea there's no climate emergency, people who refuse to acknowledge the bulk of the scientific community's opinions regarding the need for a net zero emissions, still having the muscle, still be able to create enough fear in an elected government for that elected government to remove an invitation for a former Prime Minister, one of the richest men in this country, to be removed from a board they created to advise them on the best way of going forwards in the struggle to create net emissions, zero net emissions. It's extraordinary. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Loscano. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It's interesting how roles have reversed in this society over the last few decades. Now, I remember... The good old days, in inverted commas, I've been facetious. There's no such thing as a good old day. I mean, every epoch, every era has its uh, horrors, some more than others. But I do remember when sporting stars were sporting stars. You know, sports, politics didn't mix. I remember I was part of the anti, uh, anti-apartheid struggle in uh, this country in the 1970s. I remember the, 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 the big thing they used to talk about, they said, sport... Politics don't mix. Sport and politics don't mix. And it's quite interesting as we've seen more and more sporting stars or jocks, whatever you like to call them, both male and female, getting involved with the blessing of their teams in political, social and cultural life in this country. It's no longer a matter of going out of the pub and getting yourself blind drunk. It's a matter of acting as some type of role model as far as, you know, attitudes towards race are concerned, attitudes towards women are concerned, attitudes towards society are concerned. Because the professional clubs have understood 
that they need to reflect the opinions which are growing within the Australian community. They need to reflect those opinions. If they don't reflect those opinions, more and more people will turn off you know, their television set or their uh, platform and don't care who wins or who loses a sporting match. So we've seen the turnaround, 180-degree turnaround, in the way sporting stars, in all levels of sport, all types of sport, interact with the community. They talk about the social good, social interaction, inclusion, multiculturalism, anti-racist, and we're even seeing some of the uh, sporting codes uh, bring a lot of these uh, sporting codes using these platforms as a way of surviving in a changing world. Now let's move into the academic world. Now in my day, academics freely expressed themselves. They were the role models. It wasn't the sporting star. The academics of this country were role models. You saw them as role models. They were the ones at the forefront of that struggle to create a more egalitarian community. Today, the academic, apart from the occasional retired academic, has disappeared. They've disappeared from the social discourse. They've disappeared from the social conversation. You don't hear them, you don't see them. And this has occurred for one very good reason, not because academics have changed, Privately, many, if not most, academics are involved in struggles against racism, against you know, against uh, misogyny, against inequality, and the list goes on and on. But publicly, they have been destroyed, and they've been destroyed as a consequence of the privatisation of universities in this country. And nothing highlights this, how important private capital is, as the lack of overseas students in Australian universities during the COVID-19 crisis. So the academic in this country, whether it's a humanities academic, science academic, engineering academic, have had tape placed across their mouths because of individual contracts which prevent them from opening their mouths publicly and if they open their mouths publicly outside of a university sanctioned uh, appearance they lose their job or they're not reinstated in 12 months time when their contract runs out. At the same time in the scientific community the scientific academic has now been tied up, has become a Siamese twin with the private sector. So we have medical experts of all at all levels doing research in publicly funded universities which have now formed partnerships with private corporations including private transnational pharmaceutical corporations where they provide some of the finance for that research on the understanding 
that if that research does not uh, reflect favourably on that particular organisation or on the what they're investigating that that particular organisation is um, developing, then that those academics are not permitted to publish those findings. Did you hear that? They are not permitted to publish findings which may have a negative impact on the bottom line economically of that corporation, whether it's a pharmaceutical corporation or a medical uh, appliance corporation, if it has an unfavourable impact on them, on their studies. So it is a exceptionally difficult time for academics in all fields. And it's not the academic's fault, because if you want to be an academic and you wish to continue to do research because of the lack of public money to do research because of the privatisation of universities, we find that academics are now hogtied. That's right, hogtied. They've become Siamese twins with with the very organisations and people who they kept honest in the past. So here we are, we've seen a dramatic turn in who acts as a catalyst for change in Australian society in the 21st century. We see the sporting jock leading the pack. We see the celebrity, you know, doing something to highlight their name and leading the pack. But we see the academic who's devoted their lives to particular fields of human endeavour being refused, that's right, refused the right to publish, refused the right to speak out. And it's in all levels of Australian society. When you join a state-funded organisation, for example, a health department or a public hospital, you have written into your contracts sections which mean that you can't speak out. You may see the most horrific corruption or the most horrific problems in your field of human endeavour. As we saw in Victoria on a number of occasions with the, the, the pathetic services which you're providing to people through health services by incompetent staff. And the staff that reported that incompetency found that they lost their jobs, found they were unemployable, found the health department refused to employ them because they had the audacity to open their mouths. So this is Australia in 2021. And that's why we continue to have so many problems, but more importantly than the problems, we continue not to be able to address 
these issues. Think about it. Think about the type of society we have become and think about the reason we have become this type of society. And the reason we have become this type of society is that we have for far too long forced the public sector to be a prisoner of the private sector. Look at the schmozzle regarding COVID-19 in Victoria during this, you know, the second wave. Look at the schmozzle. And to a significant degree, that schmozzle was due to the fact that the Victorian Health Department, that's right, the Victorian Health Department, all it did was give out private contracts to private corporations to provide public services. And that is the model which has been used in Australia today. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'd like to say hello to all those people across the country listening to the Anarchist World this week. And uh, my condolences to all of you who've been uh, through the floods and whatever other natural disaster we have on this continent. But the biggest natural disaster is not what nature throws at us, but the biggest natural disaster we have in this country is the fact that we as a society, that's right, you and me, we have allowed the private sector to dominate every aspect of human activity in this country. We have made the public sector little more than an organisation which hands out contracts to the private sector to carry out tasks which should be carried out by the public sector. I'll give you an example. National Disability Insurance Scheme. Now, I struggled for a National Disability Insurance Scheme for over 40 years. And I, and I was invited to give evidence at the commission, whatever it was called, that was, you know, recommended that Australia have a National Disability Insurance Scheme. So what's happened? Fine. People are beginning to receive services which they should have received because they've got disability. But now what we find is the system has been structured in such a way as to allow the carpetbaggers to come in to make a fortune at the expense of the taxpayer. For every dollar which the National Disability Insurance Scheme gives to a private provider, 40 cents in that dollar goes into administration costs or profits for that private organisation. It would have made sense for the National Disability Insurance Scheme not to have just been administered by the federal government, but the services which were provided should have been provided by the federal government. It would have meant more secure employment for a lot of people. It would have meant a continuity of service And we wouldn't have the situation we find ourselves in where large corporations, as we saw in the the childcare sector, the uh, early education for children, the list goes on and on, and as I said before at the beginning of the program, in private education, come in to get their cut of a taxpayer's dollar to provide a service which could be provided by the public sector much more efficiently at less the cost. You know, less costs. Yep, as I've said before, it's obvious, totally obvious. But sometimes the obvious isn't obvious.
because it's part becomes part of our DNA, becomes part of the country's social DNA, cultural DNA. And the fact is, DNA changes in the human body to meet specific challenges. So although private investment for private profit is the mantra, the religious dogma, the DNA, which drives Australian society in the 21st century, it can be changed. And that's why organisations like Public Interest Before Corporate Interest have been formed to lead that struggle for change. Not just a change based on, you know, specific issues, but a general change, a generalised change where we put the interests of the community before the interests of privately owned companies and corporations. Let's move on. ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, a little bit like a well-meaning auntie. You know, I despair. I despair about the ABC, and again, it's been infected with the same disease that we've seen in the universities and every other aspect of our human existence on this uh, in this country. I mean, I despair as the ABC is lashed by the state government, by the federal government, and the list goes on and on, lashed and lashed and lashed. And I despair when I saw the introduction of uh, short-term contracts into the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And I despair when I see the Australian Broadcasting Corporation emulate the private sector, you know, using most of its time, you know, to push forward vacuous, inoffensive garbage. Now, I'm not saying that all Australian Broadcasting Corporation's program are vacuous, inoffensive garbage, but what we've seen over the last two decades, again with the privatisation of the ABC, or the threat of the privatisation and the casualisation of staff, what we've seen is self-censorship driving the agenda. And this self-censorship has been forced on honest broadcasters in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation by a number of initiatives which has been carried out by governments. The first thing is appointing boards which wish to abolish the ABC. Let's not forget it's Liberal National Party policy to privatise the ABC. That is policy which is written in their DNA, written in blood on their policy sheet. Every convention after every Liberal National Party convention highlights that they would like to privatise the ABC and the only reason they haven't been able to is because of public support. But you can privatise an organisation in various ways. You can cause an organisation to censor itself in various ways. And the first way is by introducing short-term contracts for its employees, by introducing uh, sections in the contract which prevent them from speaking out by introducing managerial staff whose job is to contain the type of reporting which has been done by the ABC. It's about starving the Australian Broadcaster Corporation of funds so that it can no longer provide those labour-intensive 
news uh, programs which are required to expose corruption and inadequacies in the corporate and the uh, political world. And the list goes on and on. So the ABC, a well-meaning arty, a well-meaning arty, but unfortunately compromised, compromised, found with her pants down in the back garden somewhere, kind of wandering, partially demented, wondering where she is. Poor old ABC, poor old ABC. And again, we have allowed this to occur. We have allowed those so-called failed corporate conservative reactionary warriors dominate the political landscape, dominate the political landscape, trying to ensure that the ABC becomes an irrelevant rump in this society. And you see it in terms of the types of people which are interviewed on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. They don't reflect the opinions which occur in our community. They basically reflect a limited range of opinions and that has occurred because of the self-censorship which is required in the Australian Broadcasting Corporations for people to maintain their short-term contracts. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station broadcasting across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, on a more... Well, every note is serious here on the Anarchist World this week. I mean, uh, no music, no community announcements, no garbage, you know, about... You know, no competitions, just opinion, analysis... That's what it is. It's not news. I mean, it's not not about something that's new. It's about analysing what's happening. Different. Now, an important issue, the silent epidemic. Now, I know everybody's been concerned about COVID-19. I've been concerned about COVID-19. I've spoken about COVID-19 in the past. But I'm really concerned about a silent epidemic which caused more deaths than COVID-19 which once COVID-19 is brought under control in the next year or two, will continue to be a, a profound issue in our society. And there have been the two high-profile high accidents in the last few weeks which have highlighted the this silent epidemic. And one was the fall by the uh, Victorian Premier, Mr Andrews, where he sustained fractured ribs and a fractured T7 vertebrae, which, if it had not been managed correctly, he could have sustained a paraplegia and been confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And the other one was the uh, unfortunate death of Carla Zampetti, a um, very well-known fashion designer, immigrant, single parent, you know, uh, bon vivant, who uh, slipped on some steps in the opera house, uh, sustained a head injury and died. This has just highlighted how important falls have become in terms of their impact on individuals, communities and the health system with an ageing population and an ageing population which may not have been as fit as it was in the past. Now, falls 
account for more trauma, more cost than cigarettes or alcohol as far as the health system is concerned. Hundreds of people will die as a consequence of falls in this country in the next 12 months. Thousands will be permanently damaged and tens of thousands may require hospital admission or operations for fractured hips or other fractured bones. And as you get older, falls become a real issue. Now, so we have various organisations which, uh, you know, talk about gambling and the problems created with problem gambling, problems with alcoholism, problems with cigarette smoking, problems with being overweight. So isn't it about time we had a national body which looked at the problems of falls in the Australian community because it is not only draining personally, and as we saw in the instance of Carla Zampetti, fatal, but it's not time that we had a commission which was able to document the amount of time lost, the amount of people who died, the amount of trauma to individuals, and programs put in place to alert people to the pitfalls of falls and the damage that falls can make. Because ultimately, in any society, if we want to maintain health and we want to remove pressure from the uh, health system, we need, as we've seen with the COVID-19 epidemic, we need to focus on that issue. And hopefully... Because of the falls which have been sustained by prominent people in our society, Mr. Mr. Andrews and uh, Carla Zembetti, hopefully that this issue will become more important as far as healthcare and prevention is concerned in the near, near future. It's not going to go away. And I think many of our listeners who are listening to this program, especially our elderly listeners, and the younger listeners are always in a hurry, can understand, especially if you've suffered a fall, can understand how devastating the consequences can be. Let's move on. 1.5 billion gift for corporate manufacturing. Ah, the federal government is beginning to understand that manufacturing is important. They did close down the car industry a few years ago. Begin to understand manufacturing is important. They begin to understand that we live on an island and that we rely on shipping to get stuff across to this country. And shipping costs have risen by over 300% in the last 15 months. And they will continue to rise because of the privatisation of ports around this country and because of the fact that uh, costs are going up. Profits are going up for shipping companies. So, 1.5 billion gift for corporate manufacturing, but nothing 
for cooperatives and collectives. As I've said before on this program, and those of you who watch the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, by late next week I'll have something up about uh, a mixed economy. As you know, if you want a economy which is chugging along, which provides full employment for people, not only do you need a private sector, a strong private sector, you also need a strong public sector and you need a strong cooperative and collective sector. And if no seeding funding is provided to that sector, you can't expect that sector to grow and grow and grow and grow. So think about it. Isn't it about time that uh, pressure was placed on governments to provide seeding funding for the cooperative and collective sector, which is almost non-existent in this country, especially since the 1980s and 1990s, when most of the cooperatives and mutual aid societies, which have been established 100 years previously, were demutualised and privatised. And now we're seeing the, uh, you know, the what's that problems caused by that privatisation mania. Now, last but not least, I do not want to frighten the children or frighten the horses. But when the International Monetary Fund says, these are their exact words, and obviously you may have trouble understanding the jargon, but I make it my business to understand their jargon because you need to understand where they're coming from. Disorderly unwinding of inflated global assets. They're very concerned about, the International Monetary Fund, about disorderly unwinding of inflated global assets. Disorderly unwinding means people going bankrupt. Inflated global assets means that people are paying more for things than they should be paying for. And if you think this is relevant to 21st century Australia, bingo, you are right. Even the International Monetary Fund is concerned about the disorderly and whining and inflated global assets. What that means is you borrow lots of money because it's cheap to borrow money. You know, official interest rates are 0.1%. You borrow lots and lots of money and then you pay a million dollars for a two-bedroom unit, if you're lucky, somewhere in Sydney or Melbourne, and you think you've got a bargain and then you spend the next 30 to 40 years paying off that loan. But there's a problem. When they talk about disorderly and whining of inflated global assets, what they mean is that as interest rates go up, you're going to have trouble paying that debt. And in Australia, unfortunately, what people seem to forget is if housing prices fall, let's say you buy a property for $1.2 million, which is nothing for a property, you know, in 2021, and you've got $200,000 equity, which means that's your money, which you've paid for the property, and the nice people in the banks or the uh, financial sector give you a million dollars to pay for that property... And then there's a crash because of increased interest rates and you cannot pay your premiums, you know, your mortgage. And the property that you bought for $1.2 million is now worth $800,000. 
you sell that property, you still owe them a million. You still owe, and you get eight hundred thousand dollars when you take out costs. You've got seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. You still owe them two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which you'll be paying off for the rest of your life. So that's what the disorderly unwinding of inflated global assets it's all about. It's about people losing their homes because they initially paid too much for that property because of speculative forces, not because it's worth $1.2 million. So now is not a nice time to borrow, especially borrowing big. If the IMF tells me that, well, I need to take heed. All right. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. We've looked at a lot of issues today. The revenge of the sporting star, the death of the academic, the well-meaning people in auntie, parliamentary puppets, educational apartheid, co- cooperatives, collectives, falls. That's right, even we've got a health issue in, involved and the disorderly, unwinding and inflated global assets. If you're concerned, if you want to be part of a struggle to... Uh, Initiate change, well then, join public interest before corporate interests. You can download the application form from pipsy.net. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Keep your eye on the Facebook pages for public interest. Uh, for public housing, everybody's business and defend and extend public housing. Keep your eye on those Facebook pages. We'll be re-initiating, in Victoria at least, uh, the uh, vigils on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in May. Don't forget the 1st of May, if you are in Victoria, that walking tour, 11pm to 12.30. and uh, Sorry, 11am. It's not a night tour. It's not a ghost tour. 11am to 1230 p.m. and then lunch at your expense. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au and remember, I can analyse things, you can analyse things, you can sit back and watch the world roll by or you can put out your hand or put out your foot and make sure they trip. and So the apple cart spills and there's apples for everyone, not just the person pushing the apple cart. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist Will this week on your local community radio station. This program is, as I said, streaming live on 3cr.org.au across Australia, multiple community radio stations, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana. If you don't like what you hear, send the podcast to a friend. They may have a better understanding of the world than you do. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.